Kyle and Melissa and so many others are doing in our family ministry. Really, our whole church is a family ministry. And so, if there's anything stirring in you, if there's not, I hope it is stirred up in you and that you will join us up here on Wednesday to talk about how maybe you might find your sweet spot of kingdom impact among us and with us and through us. Piggybacking on that verse that uh, Adrian read, you know, when Jesus first called his disciples to follow him, you know, a third of those 12 initial disciples were fishermen. They were fishermen. And he, you heard what he said. He said in this famous scripture, in this famous story, he borrowed on their understanding of how to do that. See, they knew how to do that. They knew how to fish. They knew how to make nets and mend their nets. They knew how to read the currents. They knew how to check the weather. They knew the best time of day to go, what corners and pockets of the lake to fish at at what time and what season. They know they knew how to fish. But he said, you, you're, you're fishers of fish. I want to teach you how to fish for men. He said, I want to teach you how to fish for people. And when he said that, he wasn't like objectifying your friends. He wasn't objectifying my friends. He wasn't objectifying their friends. He wasn't relegating them down to a number. He wasn't saying they're projects. They're not people. He wasn't doing any of that. He wasn't downgrading them into that. He wasn't encouraging who would eventually become his church to relegate people down to a set of numbers or to church down to a set of numbers and and how many people are attending your church or how many baptisms did you have this last year he wasn't doing that and you know this he was doing something far more vast far more human what he was saying is that there's a whole world of people a whole world of people at various levels of consciousness about this, but a whole world of people that need to know how, how much God loves them. There's a whole world of people that need to know that they matter, that need to know that they're seen, that need to know that they're loved. They, they need to be made aware that, that, that life is more than what this matrix we live in tells them. That, that what this world tells them, that indeed life is more than this world, the way we know it. That's what Jesus was saying. And so when he said, I want to teach you how to fish for people, he, he was throwing us out into the world with him. He wanted us to join him in his mission, why he came to this earth all the way from heaven he says, I want to teach you how, fishermen, to fish for people. There's multiple ways in which Jesus and the Bible, lots of different phrases. I, I tried to brainstorm as many as I could think of this week. Of how many ways scripture talks about this particular element of our Christian walk. This fishing for men talk. And there's a there's place in scripture where it's called sharing your faith. There's place in scripture where it's called saving people or being saved. That's from the text. 
There's the idea of rescuing people. There's a Lord of the Rings passage that's like saying people are being rescued from a dominion to a kingdom. A dominion of darkness to a kingdom of light. It's the word winning is used. Winning people or winning souls. Witnessing is used to talk about this. Or being witnesses. Or one of the ones that, I don't know, resonates with me quite a bit for all that it means is, is being ambassadors. That we're to be ambassadors for Christ. And it's a mouthful, but one time Paul calls it a ministry. He calls it a ministry of reconciliation. And he goes into some detail. He's talking about people in the world out there, their relationship with God being reconciled for intimacy to be created or recreated the way it was always supposed to be, but something got in the way. Jesus and then Paul talks about being light, right? Shine like stars in the world. Jesus, I think, is the only one that talks about being salt of the earth, coming into contact with the world. Spreading the word is used in Scripture. Sending workers into the harvest field, Ryan reminded me of when we were brainstorming. So he uses the fishing metaphor here. He's moving to the agriculture metaphor. Making disciples right there in the Great Commission. Now, I hope you, if you've been with us for a while, you know making disciples is more than just fishing for men. It's also growing to be more like him and equipping each other to to do the ministry. But it's for sure inclusive of this element and it's sometimes used to identify it. All these phrases, pick the one you like. All at different levels have come in disfavor at different times, but these are the words the Bible tries to use to borrow on to talk about this element. And the most pointed word in scripture that that identifies this element is the word evangelism. And evangelism at its core is telling people the message of Jesus. That's what it is. Evangelism is telling people who don't know the message of Jesus the message of Jesus. And that is what we're calling each other to do as a priority. For some of us to do again, for some of us maybe for the first time, but this is a part of the Christian walk. And our elders have called us this year to set our eyes back on this element of our Christian walk. This is what we mean when we're saying this year our theme is about sharing Jesus. We want to be faithful to this part of our duty as Christians to tell people the message of Jesus, to tell people about him. There's always been opposition to evangelism. I've been in ministry now for decades, and it's and I've always had evangelism at least as a category in my thought, in my heart, in my desire for the church. I don't want to leave that out. And every time we hone in on this particular subject of our walk, I have come to experience opposition. There's spiritual opposition. Those of you who read scripture and and see what's unpacked there won't surprise any of you that when you read it, you see that scripture pulls this veil opens up this veil into the invisible world and there's this what we call spiritual reality and there's a spiritual war going on. There's an enemy of God depicted in Scripture. And he can't hurt God. God is God. 
so he can't hurt him directly. So his only effort has to be at who God loves, and that's us, and what God loves, and that's partly his mission. So if God wants his people for their most abundant life and for the world that he loves to evangelize, to to become fishers of men, sent Jesus down to teach us how to be fishers of men, you can guarantee that the enemy is going after that. It's going to try to make it inconvenient, unwieldy, not my gift. He's going to do all kinds of things to try to interrupt that from happening. It's not even about us. It's, it's, he's an enemy of God. So that doesn't surprise anyone that there's spiritual opposition. I want you to expect it. Expect it and predetermined to overcome it. There's also worldly opposition and then fleshly opposition to evangelism. And this is even maybe less surprising because it's less invisible Now, it blends into the woodwork of how we live, so it might become invisible to us. But you can see it. The world and the flesh, they conspire to tell us. Every single person in our country is super dedicated to this. I'm not slamming everything about it, but this part about it. That you get to be the center of your life. That's the message of the world. That's the desire of the flesh. We want to rule our lives. It's the exact opposite of the gospel and where the gospel says freedom is found. But our flesh feels like that's true. That's true. I'm unique and I have certain desires. They're different than other people's desires. And I should satisfy those desires. That's in the flesh. It's in every single one of us. And then the world comes along and says, yeah, and I'll give you the tools to do that. And the world gives us a a way. And it involves giving us power. Power to satisfy those desires. And you know the world has its toolbox of, of, of things that help us do that. Probably primarily money, but influence and, and authority here on earth. And popularity. Different things that the world offers that you can leverage to satisfy your desires. The world and the flesh conspire. They collude to put you right at the center of your world. And the more the world gives you those resources to satisfy your desires, the more free you are. Let freedom ring. That's how it rings for the world and the flesh, but not the gospel. Freedom rings when you surrender to the maker of that heart of yours. You give care for that heart to him, and it frees you in awe, every way that matters, that nothing on this in this world can take from you. So there's spiritual opposition, there's worldly opposition, there's fleshly opposition. None of that will surprise you, but I wanted to point it out as we go into this year because they will rear their ugly heads. But here's the one I really, I changed my whole sermon plan to, to, as I was just trying to make this a little intro and I go, this has to be the whole thing. This might surprise you. There is church opposition to church evangelizing and this one came right out of me just typed right on from my experience as a minister i i'm not studying this i'm not finding this this is something that i'm remembering in me and in the churches that i've been in two of them that i've been in as a minister for decades now i tried to think this morning. i need a good analogy i'm just doing a lot of talking i'd like to give y'all an image of something i don't know if this will work but this is what came to mind i'm going to give it a try any of y'all play t-ball growing up 
Okay, all right, your kids play t-ball. T-ball is, takes the home plate and puts a stick right in the middle of it with a usually rubber tube that has a little indentation in it. You can put the ball right on that T and then the kids learn to hit that ball, right? And so I remember this. I played T-ball. That was my first effort at, at any kind of baseball or sport or anything was the T. Way more often than not when I started, I wouldn't hit the ball. I'd hit the T. And I learned real quickly, I can't play T-ball when I'm knocking down the T. And so I'm thinking of that here, church. We're on the field playing. This is our mission as Christians. Evangelism is a part of it. If we are going to oppose evangelism and we're going to give ourselves reasons to disregard it or diminish it, that's how it'll start, but eventually dismiss it, just maybe unaware. Then it's like we're hitting the tee. You can't do Christianity without evangelism any more than you can play t-ball by pounding on the tee. You can't knock the tee and play t-ball. You can't be against evangelism. And I want you to be aware of this because this is stuff I've experienced here. Here, whenever our elders pull our focus, not to neglect anything that we're doing for ourselves, but to include the world specifically, not just with caregiving, but with the message of Jesus. That's what evangelism is, remember. Good news, gospel is related to the word in Greek. And evangelism is telling the gospel. So here's, here's some of those things. And all of these you'll notice are good. They're right. That's what it will take for good-hearted Christians to neglect evangelism. Something else good. If Satan shows up with spikes on his head and fire, and we, we identify that, it has to be something good maybe even right, that's competing with evangelism. So the first one is just distractions. Churches can get very busy doing tons of good works for those who already know Jesus. People that we know, that we love, that not just Christ died for, but we would die for because we know their names. And so we don't want to do anything that would neglect those that we love. And so that's the first one. We sometimes get so busy doing Jesus things with those who know the message of Jesus, we forget the call that we're supposed to go tell that message to those who don't know. Fortress mentality, right? Fortress mentality. Again, the, this, just like distraction, it starts with something good. The church is rightly called, <clears throat> and I've called it this, an outpost of the kingdom. How we do things in here, in the church, are very different than how they do things out there in the world. We're trying to become an outpost of kingdom living, different values, different priorities, different attitudes, different ways in here. And so that is right. That's part of why we gather, right? Is to, is to have like-minded people who agree and we get a little taste. Let it be here on earth as it is in heaven. If it's not happening in here, it's for sure not going to bleed out there right so very easily this can become like it take it takes a lot of energy to maintain that doesn't it even with like-minded people it is hard for us to protect ourselves from the world and its values seeping into here so 
very quickly we can become a fortress mentality. We need to spend our time and energy protecting each other and ourselves and our kids. And I mean, very important stuff, right stuff. And before long, we are forgetting that this outpost exists as a home base for us to go out into the world. Not just to protect it from the world. Another one is accusations of neglect. This comes from right within the church. If a church does what we're doing right now, that is decidedly turning our attention back to the world, there will, without fail, this has happened every time I've been a part of this church or the church I was at before, when we put our minds and set our sights on the world that God loves and we try to expand our heart to not just be about us but to be about others, the accusation comes that says, I'm afraid, leadership, you are going to neglect those in here for those out there. Without fail, that one happens. It will happen again this year. And again, I, I, I try to preemptively, I did last week, if you were last week, I tried to preemptively knock, I'm so familiar with that one, I try to preemptively say it, just at least speak this out without neglecting anyone in here for whom in the church for whom Christ died we need to add sharing the gospel with those out there for whom Christ died I thought of another response to this accusation that I just want you to be self aware of if you find that. it usually comes from a good thing someone's in need when so, whoever makes this accusation to their own church, from within their own church, you're focusing, they're hurting. It's not evil, they're hurting. Either they are feeling neglected, or someone they love, they're scared about where they're going, and so they want those leaders' attention. on the, So without neglecting any of our disciple-making efforts with each other, this year we need to include the world. You hear me? And I thought of another response to this that I've never had before as I was preparing here. You know, we're entirely capable of neglecting taking care of each other without the priority of evangelism. We don't need that out there, right? If we're neglecting that, that's its own issue all by itself, whether we're doing evangelism, the call of evangelism well or not. So never, mature Christians are aware of this and never make these competitors because they're not. So one more is dilution. Dilution, you know, when something gets diluted. You know, like milk has too much water in it. It's diluted milk. I'm saying that over and over because to me it first sounded like diluted. I'm diluted. I can't, you know, a delusion rather than dilution. Those are just way too close. So ironically, this comes from people like me. It comes from your ministers. It comes from, not your ministers here, it can. But it comes from theologians, thinkers, people who really want to do evangelism well. Again, all of these have good in them, okay, that can become blockers of evangelism. It's people like me trying to present the gospel and rally us to present the gospel in the most winsome way possible out there in the world. And, and we will do that again this year. We want to do that. We want to present it. We want to be smart about this. We want to go as far as we can just like Jesus went as far as he could from heaven to earth 
He, he did as much as he could to bridge this gap to his father. We want to do that too. And so we think of things like we want to live the gospel, right? Not just, not just share it, say it. We want to live the gospel. We want to show the gospel. When we share with our words, we want to share some of those deep human needs that are met by the gospel. We want to show how it connects to these relevant universal human needs. This is all right. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with any of this. We have a need, a desire for purpose. We have a desire for passion and service. We, we need community. We want meaning in our lives. These are all things that are satisfied by the gospel, by the message of Jesus, who we want to share. And it's all good unless it replaces the actual source of those things. And we just, we want to be so relevant that we skip out on the baseline message of what it is that provides those things. St. Francis of Assisi is often, I think he's the one that's attributed most with the quote, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Have you heard that? How many of you have heard that? If you're here, you've heard it from me. It's true. And when we are trying to move from only talking about it, but never living it out. It's an appropriate text. But as I think of it in the pendulum swing back that we, the elders are calling us to this year, I'm like, that is like saying, let's play t-ball and if necessary, use a T. Right? Feed the hungry. If necessary, use food. We have a message offensive to the world. So you are not going to talk about the enchanted things of the gospel, the, the, the universal need things of the gospel, the heart stuff that gets addressed by the gospel and deliver it to them in a gospel way without telling the gospel. So I'm naming all of that here this morning as we launch into this year. So that maybe, maybe I can preemptively get us to not waste some of our time. That we get through this year and these things that can come, we're going to have to deal with the flesh and the world and spiritual obstacles. But church obstacles, let's, it should be a simple thing for the church to agree that what the elders are calling us to this year, sharing Jesus, that just this is, you know, I've learned this, I'm now I mean, I'm a West Texas guy now. It took me a long time. I was a Houston City boy, but I've been here almost 20 years. And one of the things I love about West Texas is just keep it simple. Just keep it simple. Some things are not simple, so that can be a hindrance. But here, I think it's a a perk. It's an advantage. Can't we just, isn't a simple thing, church, for us to agree that as a primary goal of our individual lives, as a a a major part of our role communally as a church, we are to be about sharing Jesus to the world. So with that said, I want to spend the next few weeks in January focusing on one story 
of evangelism. This one, I think, I think Jerry, you pointed this one out to me in Acts 17, many, many years ago when we were in another season. And he pointed out some things that always just, but I spent a lot more time in it. And there's a lot more there. It's in Acts 17. I just want to read it to you. Okay, it's a narrative. We've got it up on the screen. You can just sit back and listen. It's about a, a, a moment of successful evangelism. Okay, and it's, it's by our friend. If, you, if you're in scripture, this is Paul is kind of the, the, the evangelist. He was one of the first ones in the Christian movement to take it seriously and make it a part of his actual practical lifestyle as a follower of Jesus. So let me just read this to you. I'll make one quick observation today, but we're going to look at it for the next few weeks. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him, Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching, here it is, the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you you are presenting you are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. As I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, What you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them, the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to change their mind. But he has, but he, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council 
A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. I just want to preach it all right now. There's so much here that I've come to fall in love with that I think is relevant for us this year. But there, there at least I've narrowed it down to in good preacher form to three moves that Paul makes in this scene. But we're we're going to look at those for the next three weeks. Okay, so I hope you'll join me in that. But these this text though, just well, all I want to point out today is this text. It's not even about Paul to me. Like uh, mine has a little title. Yours probably has a little title for this section, you know, and it's Paul in Athens. And, and that's not inaccurate. Paul in Athens, that's just what somebody called it because we had Paul in several other places. And these are the, you know, the Acts of the Apostles and the, the whole, all this is about Paul in the second half of Acts and his journeys. But the, really, really what this should be called to me now is the day Dionysius and Damaris followed Jesus. I mean, when you're reading a story, what do you, we even make fun of this. We're like, we're like, I've, I've looked at the end of the story. I know what happens. That's, that's what everything as interesting as the plot is and the twists and turns and turns. It's building up to what's at the end. What's at the end here is Dionysius and Damaris and a few others decide to follow Jesus. They decide to believe. This is why I want to look at it. This is why I think the Holy Spirit put it in here in such detail. Is there are things that Paul may have done then that is universal even for us today that puts us in the fold of God's will that maybe Jesus can use to teach us how to fish for people. There is someone in your life There's a lot of someones. There's no one in your life that God doesn't want to know Jesus. But there is someone that he wants you. He wants you to be a part of that story. If Dionysius and Damaris, we could have a little panel discussion here and we ask him, how did you first meet Jesus? Paul would be a part of it. He's not the the center of the story. Jesus is that. But Paul would be a part of it. The end of next year. You know what I'm going to say? Don't you want to be a part? You don't want to be the hero. You can't be. That would be too much for us anyway. We can't save anybody. But Jesus can. And he can teach us how. How to join him in delivering that message of how much God loves them to the world. Would you join me? Would I am interested in learning from this text and just in our life together about sharing Jesus. Choose your word about being light, about being salt, about being an ambassador, about being a worker in the harvest field, about rescuing someone, about witnessing, about winning people, about this evangelistic piece of making disciples, about letting Jesus teach me to become a fisher of men. So would you join me in earnest as we take a look at this the next three weeks? Would you be open to this idea? And would you take the pressure off yourself this year, right here at the beginning? To know enough, to do enough, to be gifted enough. Would you take all that off and just let Jesus take the weight of making you a fisher of men? We want him to get the glory anyway. So we don't need to do it. We just need 
to be willing. So that in, I want to remind you to mark your calendar, the first corporate call. You can get started individually right away, but the first corporate call is for you to mark your calendar, Saturday and Sunday, March 2nd and 3rd. We're going to be doing an event called Line of Departure. Some of you have been here long enough to to know we've done it before. It is an equipping event where we will get together and talk about this, about solidifying this into our life, about exercising and learning the skills that teach us how to fish in this day and age. So if you would set that aside, it's going to be, you know, during the daytime hours on Saturday and then on Sunday, worship, but also an afternoon time together. So would you set that aside? I said this last year, last year, it was last year, last week, uh, just me included, me included. We prioritize other important things sometimes over church, over church family, over gathering together. And, and we're not legalists around here. We're not saying you're a bad, not a fully devoted follower of Jesus because that happens sometimes. I hope not. But would you consider making this a priority for this year, the mission of God that we say is of first importance of being involved in that? Are you a part of this church family? Would you dare do something ridiculous like change the business trip if at all possible, miss the sports game, celebrate your birthday that is March 2nd on a different day. Just this, would you dare do, would would you dare let this priority be the highest priority of your life, the mission of God in this one weekend? Again, we're not being legalistic. If you can't come, you can't come. But if there is a way, I don't mind asking. Jesus died for this stuff. And it works. And we want to have it, but we want to give it away. In fact, we will learn this year, if you've forgotten, you don't have it at its full if you're not a part of giving it away. You're missing out on something that God, a rich part of life that he wants to give you. Let me ask our elders and our ministers, go ahead and move around the room here. Our praise team, if you'll come up here and join me. You know, our church family isn't, perfect. Everyone knows that, but we do make it a point, and we have always made it a point to try to love each other really well. And I've seen ever-increasing growth in that. Heroic love for each other and disciple-making for each other, trying to be full of grace and truth with each other, to make disciples of our kids that's so important, take care of each other when we're sick, when we have a financial need, take care of that. I see this all the time. But there's a reason our leadership is calling us this year without neglecting any of that to turn our eyes to the world. And again, when Ryan and I were talking about this, it's because of the heart of God. It's not just because it's our duty. It's the heart of God. And he, and he, he used, he showed me this verse. This is so good. It's in the Old Testament, Isaiah 49, 6. It's God talking in first person to his people, Israel and Judah, and to his servant who are trying to restore the people of Israel back to what they're supposed to be. But he says this, he gives them this warning and call. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel. Pause. That's a huge thing. To restore Israel, to restore Judah, to to make the people of God the people of God again, adhering to kingdom principles that he's given them in the law, to to be a light to the world. That's 
That is a huge thing. But he says, it's too small a thing. And he adds this, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. It is too small a thing for us to be really, really good at loving each other. It is too small a thing for us to take care of every need that we have financially and care for that. To take care of each other when we're sick. It is too small a thing. And that's a huge thing that is not to be neglected, that is of massive priority. So I want you to imagine, just since that's so big and that's a part of God's heart and it's too small for his heart, how big is his dream? And you're invited in. Just, just come the next few weeks and study this with me and see how. Sign up for that retreat. Many of you, it's happening right now. You're supposed to be here this Wednesday for our family ministry. Whatever it is, do not miss this. This is the year for you to have this rich, full life that is affecting. Dionysius and Damaris were somebody's one. They were somebody's one. And we believe, it's inferred here, that their whole lives changed. But more than that happened. In our faith, their eternity changed. There is nothing bigger than this. So let's stand and let's sing. And if we can help you in any way, that's why we're standing here. Please come.